0: Is thinking about the power of the gospel what is the power of the gospel what is the gospel message is that we were a mess we were helpless we were hopeless and apart from him we could not help ourselves but he did it all for us amen and sometimes we think that that just is it's just about the gospel message is presented just so that someone would come into the kingdom or become born again. And of course that's applicable. But I believe that apart from him every day, we are helpless and hopeless and we are a mess without the grace and without the mercy of God. And so I just wanna pray. Father, I just thank you for the word in my heart. I'm asking for your grace, your mercy, your enablement that I would bring it forth. And you would help me, Lord, in Jesus' name. And I just thank you for it. Well, I want to share um, what came to mind is about this time last year, uh, I live in Florida. And the church that I attend is called the River uh, Claremont. And our church had, uh, we were in the midst of the 21-day fast in the beginning of the year. And during the fast, uh, the pastor he he heard, or what he what the Lord spoke to him was that he was to have four of us um, seasoned quote older s- ministers to come on a Sunday morning, and we each had twenty minutes, and we were to share one thing that had impacted our lives and that we would want to leave with the next generation. And so during that time, I thought, oh, this should be interesting, you know. And the Lord gave me something. I don't know if this is going to work for me here. Okay. He spoke to me and he said, I want you to share the statement that impacted your life like none other. And that statement I heard years ago, and it was simply this, if you want to become more passionate about the Lord, you must first discover how passionate he is about you. And that statement set me on a journey, set me on a treasure hunt to on purpose pursue revelation of how much God loved me. And I remember that t- time I would just read every book that I could about the love of God. I remember meditating on the most simplest but profound scriptures, like, <clears throat> like uh, you know, every hair of my head is numbered, and He's in. He's tattooed a picture of me on his hand. And the one in Psalm 139, it says that the Lord is thinking about me all the time. and Those thoughts are precious thoughts, and they are more in number than the grains of sand. Just simple but profound scriptures that I just would meditate on and and memorize. And then, of course, taking time to really study and and do the best to grasp the finished work of Calvary what he did for us and i remember one minister said this he said he said the love of god is nowhere more vividly seen than the horrors of the cross that jesus willingly endured on our behalf and then another thing i did was i started praying Ephesians 3 And I want to encourage you, those apostolic prayers like Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, I pray them all the time. And I remember Brother Hagin, he shared with us, he said, God came to him and just said, I want you to start praying Ephesians 1. And he did. He said, I want you to pray it every day. We just, you know, for like six months, you know, just pray it. And Ephesians 1 prayer is that prayer that... You're praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. The eyes of understanding would be enlightened, you know, and we would know what is the hope of our calling. What is the riches of the glory of the inheritance? What is the greatness of his power? And he said that he started praying that, and it was like... He said after a while, he couldn't even recognize, what have I been preaching for the last so many years? Because revelation just started breaking forth in his heart and in his life. And I can say personally, I've been praying that probably for the last year or so, and it works. It just works. These are apostolic prayers that are breathed by the Holy Spirit. And so I started praying Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3 is amazing. Because we're praying that we would, uh, we're praying that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. We would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. That we'd be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the breadth, the depth. We would be able to comprehend the extraordinary dimensions and depths of His love. It goes on and it says that we would know not just in, uh, intellectually, not just in our minds, that we would know the love of God. It's more than just revelation knowledge. It, he's talking about having experiences and encounters with the love of God. And you know, that, that is a, nothing will change our lives and transform our lives like experiences and encounters with the love of God. And so um, in Ephesians 3, this is what kind of just blows my mind. I still feel like I can't actually grasp it, but it says that we can actually we can actually be filled with the fullness of God. Is that, is that crazy? We can actually be, and there's only one on-ramp for that. There's only one place in the scriptures that there's a direct correlation of being able to be filled with the fullness of God. And it has to do with encountering and experiencing the agape love of God. That's the only place. And, and so, I, and I believe it is because God is agape. God is agape. Think about that. You know, we say meditate on scriptures, memorize scriptures. But if we would just meditate on that one, that God is Agape. It's not just some part of him, just something that he has. It's not just one of his attributes. It says God is agape. Amen. And so um, I discovered through this journey that God created us to be responders. We mustn't well forget about trying to work it up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just love, you know, I'm gonna just white knuckle it, I'm gonna just struggle, I'm gonna strive, you know, it is all about us being responders. And let me explain this. One time, it was back years ago, we, just wanna bl- we wanted to bless our musicians and singers, and so we brought in a guest, and he was a, like a guest worship leader. And so he did lead worship on that Sunday, but on Saturday, he did like a special forum for our worship team. And he's like, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what is he doing? He was leading them in worship, but it was like he was a taskmaster. He was like he got his whip out, and he's like, you all stand. up. No, I don't want anybody sitting. He was like, now raise your hand. It was like he was commanding them. To worship God. Now I understand that there is spirit-led exhortation. Do you know what I'm saying? Where we are exhorted, where we're, maybe our focus and our distractions all over the place, and the worship leader says, "You know, lift your eyes and let's worship God." But there was just something so wrong about this. And then years, the, it was like in that same season, God showed me that we were created to respond. God is the initiator. He is the source of all things. We can only love him because he first loved us. And he gave me illustrations of this over the years. Can I have water? I'm just, can I have another water, please? I think the older you get, you just appreciate everything so much more. And he said, whenever you see something beautiful, you see something lovely, you know, like a beautiful sunset, a beautiful waterfall. Even now, there's just things that my grand, that I so enjoy with my grandchildren. And you just have these Kodak moments that you so appreciate and you respond to. And I remember one day, I I remember one day taking a walk in our neighborhood. And I was walking with a friend. And I turned the corner, and all of a sudden, there was this beautiful rainbow. I mean, it was extraordinary. The colors were so vivid. It went from, it was a full, full rainbow, went from ground level to ground level. It was perfect, but it was not only just a rainbow, it was a double rainbow. So as the neighbors saw it, you know, we just, they just responded. Did you see the rainbow? Did you see how beautiful it was? Did you see it was a double rainbow? I mean, that whole day, people were saying, did you see it? because they were responding to something beautiful. And I have rediscovered that God is the initiator. He's the source of it all. And we were created to respond. And when we just get a glimpse of Jesus, every glimpse, that we understand that he is altogether lovely that he's radiant in beauty, that he is perfect in all of his ways, that he paid the price that no one else could ever pay. And I, I was, uh, I have my little red book. My little red book's really important to me. I have, but um, one, de- one season, I'm just a mess. So just, just ignore me. <laughs> ignore this. I don't know. <coughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, well. And, you know, do you ever have, like, a season you just feel dry? Like, the worship's just not flowing. And I felt like God said, I want you to go and make a list of all the names, all of my attributes, all the different things that I am to you. And so I started my list, and I'm just going to read a little portion of it. Because I'm, I want to talk about response. We respond to God. Jesus, you are... You are my refuge. You are my strong tower. You're my anchor. You're my sustainer. You're my song. You're my joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. You are my laughter. You are my dance. You are my hope. You are my future. You're my prince of peace. You're my resting place. You're my Sabbath rest. You're the oasis in the desert. You're my hiding place. You are the strength of my life. You are the breath that I breathe. You are the rejoicing of my heart. You are the delight of my soul. You are the love of my life. You are my husband. You are my blood covenant partner. You're my best friend. You're my most precious treasure, my most satisfying pleasure. You are the pearl of great price. You are my dream come true. You're my everything. You are my all in all. You are my true riches. You are altogether lovely. You are radiant in beauty. You're infinite in greatness. Your love is unfathomable. You are perfect in every way. When we see him, it says that the day's gonna come when we're gonna see him and we will be changed. We will be like him. And so I just wanna say, I wanna encourage you. There was one place that the Apostle Paul got really ticked, he got really angry at the people, and that was in Galatians 3. He said, You what is going on? Why are you so foolish? Did you get saved by your works and your efforts and your striving? No, you got saved by faith and appropriating what Jesus Christ did. Then he goes on, he says, if you begun in the spirit, do you actually think you're gonna be made perfect, you're gonna mature by the works of your of your uh human effort. No. So I just uh, I just it's in my heart today. Um I just feel like I have so much. That's about, so I want to be really sensitive to the children. But uh, I shared um, this summer about the operational system, the kingdom. And I just want to uh, just say a little bit more about that. It was all by grace through faith. But we got to be careful that faith does not become a work. Because our faith is based In a relationship. It's based at the finished work of Calvary. And so when uh, I had shared about we need to find a scripture, you know, that promises the provision. And when I say that, it's just your stance. It's just faith's not a performance. It's not a work. It's just God did it all for me. He did it all from you. So it is just a response to everything he did. It is just appropriating what he did. It's more or less just saying it in my heart. You paid a horrific price so that I could have the blessings, that I could have the provision, and I am just going to lay hold of it. I'm just going to say yes and amen. It is mine. Amen. So I want to just say that. So when you find a promise, prayer of faith, it just says you believe you receive. It doesn't mean okay, now it's manifested, now it's tangible. No, it's just something in your spirit. Like, you know, your spirit just hand that with the hands of your spirit, you just grab hold of it and say, I believe, I receive. And then you enter into the rest. There is a rest of faith that Hebrews 4 talks about. There's a scripture that that reads, imitate those, it's in Hebrews 6, 12, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now hear this. It's not talking about a patience that's like, I'm just struggling, I'm striving, I'm just, I'm just going to, I got to rest, I got to. It, this word is amazing. It, it's a Greek word, and it means to abide under. So once you take your stance, once you just respond to what Christ did, then there is a rest and there's an abiding under. So faith is about abiding under a person, Jesus, abiding under the finished work of Calvary, and 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 you turn your heart because, yes, uh, the integrity of the word is simply a reflection of the integrity of a person, and our faith is is not in ourselves; it's not us getting everything perfect. But our faith, Amen, is in a perfect, faithful God, Amen. So. The thing I want to zero in again, uh, zero in is the third part. It's by grace through faith in agape. This is really important. One minister said faith can only move ahead as far as agape can carry it. Mark 11 24, 25. And, and Brother Hagen, obviously his emphasis was faith, but he taught a lot about the agape love of God. And in Mark 11, 24, it says, Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. But it goes on, the next verse and says, And when you stand praying, forgive. There's nothing that will shut down your faith more than not walking in the guy kind of love. Now, our dilemma here in the English language is that we have one word for love. It's a catch-all lo- word. I mean, seriously, it's just ridiculous because it's like we love bananas and we love peanut butter and we love to read books and we love our dog and we love our spouse. Oh, and we love God. I mean, seriously. And so why they the uh early disciples decided to translate the New Testament in Greek is because the Greek language at that time was the most widespread language. Really, I think in our global, in our globe today, English, you know, you can go in all the third world countries and they all are want to learn English. So it was that same concept. They wanted the gospel to spread as far as it could. And so they translated the New Testament in Greek. And we know the Greek has four different words it's used for love. And two of them are found in the New Testament. See, the problem is without a clear understanding of the true definition, then there's no impact of the truth. Uh, One person said this, it's a Chuck Missler in his book, The Way of Agape. He says, in the first century, the word agape was an uncommon word. The Greek word agape was coined exclusively for its specific use in the New Testament. Every time it's used in scripture, it means without exception, God's pure and divine love. Beside the Bible, there's no other usage of the word agape in literature. E.W. Kenyon, in his book, The New Kind of Love, he says there are two Greek words translated love in the New Testament, agape and phileo. The word agape did not occur in the classical Greek before the time of Christ. Agape was evidently born in the realm of divine revelation. In other words, Jesus Brought to the earth a new kind of love. Now, we're talking about the New Testament here. Brother Hagen makes this statement. He said, the Old Testament and the Gospels was written for us. The epistles were written to us. So we're to read all of it, but we need to heavy duty the letters. They were written to the born-again believer. And so, in the New Testament, phileo is used about 30-some times. Agape is found over 200 times. 200 times in various forms. I want to encourage you. Mark your Bible. Look up in Strong's Concordance, and every time "agape" in some form is used, put a little "a" beside it, and it will re- it will illuminate. It'll make a huge difference. Romans. I'm sorry. John thirteen thirty four. I only have three more scriptures. John thirteen thirty four. Jesus has his disciples gathered around him, and he makes a powerful, powerful statement. He says this. Now, keep in mind this setting is he's giving his disciples a heads up. He's saying we're gonna, there's going to be a transitional time. Things are going to radically shift because I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to be seated in the right hand of the Father, and everything's going to change. We're going to break forth into a new dispensation, a dispensation of grace. And so he says to them, okay, disciples, heads up. Here we go. Are you ready? He says, a new commandment. This word new in the Greek means new. <laughs> Glory. It's really a heavy revelation. <laughs> a new commandment I give you that you agape agape one another as I have agape you. I'm commanding you to love one another in the same way I have agape you you also agape one another. And I look at this scripture, and I say, how can this be? How can you? Well, obviously, (laughs) we need to start with, I can't. (laughs) But you have shed abroad this kind of love on the inside of me. You know, when we, when, we hear, when we read the word born or born of God or the new birth, in our English, in our American mentality, when we think of birth, we think of going through the um, birth canal. Thank you. Let's preach it together. Through the birth canal and coming out on the scene. But that's not what that word means it means a conception and that's the big argument about abortion when did life begin does it begin when you come you know come out of the birth canal or does it begin at conception and when a person is born again, they are divinely conceived. They are spiritually conceived by their father. You have the DNA. You have the essence of God. You have the same nature. He's put within you this God kind of love. You can't do it on your own. Forget that. But he can do it in and through you. And so we're to acknowledge every good thing that is in us by Christ Jesus. And that causes our faith to come alive. It causes us to do what God is asking us to do. Romans 13, 7 through 10. Can you find that for me? I have to have helpers. Romans 13, 7 through 10. You can remember where this is, Romans 13, when you think about 1 Corinthians 13, the agape chapter, and this is talking about agape. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love one another. Now, this does not mean that it's a sin to borrow. If it was, was a sin to borrow, remember in the Old Testament it said you're going you're gonna to lo- loan to many and not borrow. Well, if God would say it's all right to loan, you would be causing someone to sin if they borrowed. You, you hear what I'm saying? So so that it's not sin, but he wants us to get to the place that we can be the lender and not the borrower. Okay? So here what he's saying here is, oh, no one except, no one, anything except to love one another. In other words... Um, Fulfill your obligations, you know, pay your taxes, da, 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 the customs and all that. For he who agapes another has fulfilled the law. Now, I know you've heard this, but I'm just asking you to hear it, hear it, hear it. He who agapes another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, we all know the ten commandments. He's gonna list five of them here. He's gonna you, know, you know the commandments. You know, you, you don't commit adultery, you don't murder, you don't steal, you don't covet. And and hear this underline it, highlight it. And if there is any other commandment, well, obviously there was other commandments. They even had man-made. They said there's like 613 commandments. He said, if there's any other command, Well, yes, there was all kinds of commandments. There's hundreds of commandments. And he said, this is amazing. He says, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love, you shall agape your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does no ill to a neighbor Therefore, agape is the fulfillment of the law. So I believe the emphasis of the new covenant, it is a covenant of agape love. And if we could get this right, everything else is going to fall in place. We're just to agape God and to agape people, and we can only love because he first loved us. And the more we understand the depth and the dynamics of that love, the easier it's going to be. All right. Philippians 2. Now, this scripture used to really puzzle me. I was kind of actually got mad at it because I'm like, does that make sense? Here, Paul's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like really bearing down. That seems like really struggling, striving, performing Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for is God who all the while is working in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. So my question was, okay, am I to be the working or is God to be working? This is confusing. And I'm, so I'm seeking God. I'm praying about it. And one day I look in the E.W. Vines Dictionary of New Testament Words. And I looked up the word salvation, work out your salvation. And this is the definition he gave me. E.W. Vines gave. This salvation means, quote, to walk free from strife and vainglory. Now, vainglory is like an old English word, we'd use pride. Okay. So I just took this literally. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna work on this part. I'm gonna work on um being free from strife, contention, bitterness, hatred, da-da-da-da. I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on walking in love and walking free from pride or the positive side is walking in humility. Walking in agape love and walking in humility. Now, that's harder than you think, I'll just tell you what. Because the enemy is strategic. He, he, he's been stripped of his power, so all he can do is, it, it, we're not to be ignorant of his devices. He uses devices. He uses strategies. He know, he will set up stuff, and you're thinking, that is the most bizarre Push your buttons. He knows how to push. Set up things where people will just say something that will hurt you. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's strategic. And then I love the second part, walk in humility. God says, I will give grace to the humble. Lord, I can't do it. When I hit a wall, you know, when I hit a wall, I'm like, you've been telling me to get this right. I just can't get it right. You know, something about honesty and transparency. So when you hit a wall, my philosophy is hit your knees. Say so I can't do it, but you can do it in me. I can't do it in my own efforts or my own works or my own performance. But you are the greater one on the inside of me. And you have provided the grace and the mercy and the empowerment and the enablement. And so I'm going to look to the greater one on the inside of me. Amen. Are you with me? So, um, okay, God, this is where my faith is. I'm going to do my best to walk in agape and walk in humility. And then I'm going to believe that you are working all things together. That this work you began in me, you're going to complete it. See, the, the emphasis gets off of me. The weight gets off of me. You're going to do this thing. You started it. You're going to finish it. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. God is so good. Um, I think I'm going to just close with this. I could really talk about humility a lot. And I'll tell you, you know, most times you don't even know you have pride. You know, you start getting things together, and you start patting yourself on the back. And you, you, you hear what I'm saying? And I heard this recently. I'm still meditating on it. But one, one person said, he said, he believed, he believed that pride was the greatest sin. I'm like, what? I've never heard that. That pride was our greatest sin. But you think about it. I've been thinking about it. I've been meditating. Think about who got Jesus more riled up and more righteously angry was the Pharisees. See, they, they, they thought they had it together. They, they recognized two classes of people. The common folk and they that were high and lofty, <laughs> you know, they were of a whole different kind co- because they thought they had it together. They thought in their own efforts and their own works they were doing right. And then I was talking to Pastor James a little bit. You know, last week, just the message about the lost, you know, in that one chapter was really, really interesting because, you know, the coin was lost, the sheep was lost, the younger, the younger son was lost, but you know what? That older brother was lost. He was lost because he thought he had it all together you know, and he refused to go into the house where the celebration was, where they see the, the younger son, he knew he was spiritually bankrupt. He knew he literally stank. He knew he had nothing going for him except the grace and the love and the favor of the father. And so he just, you know, went right in. He goes, I don't deserve this, but you say father that I'm loved and I'm accepted despite me, then I'm going to join the Party, and I'm gonna dance and I'm gonna sing. And you know, that older brother, he was part of the family, and he he won't enter the house, he won't enter the heart of God. (sighs) He was standing outside in the parameters. And I think there's lots of Christians we become religious. I will, religious. I believe that our flesh naturally tries to be religious tries to do all the do's and don't all the don'ts and cross all the t's and dot all the i's do you understand and the more we understand (laughs) it's not about us the more we see his greatness and his glory and his majesty in comparing and compared to that who are we so why don't we just receive? The gospel message is not just only for to, to share with a new believer and that they become born again. The gospel message is for us every moment of every day. And it is so freeing. Okay, I'm stopping. I just want to share one more thing, and then I'm done. Promise, promise. We've all been through things. We've all fell short. But I remember um, the two years before Pastor Barry stepped over into eternity. At some point. Oh, come At some point. You know, I grieved, but then the grief broke off of me. And down deep on the inside, I don't know where it came from, but I just made this quality decision that I am going to enjoy life. I am going to enjoy every day that I have till I step over into eternity. And I am going to celebrate, and I am going to enjoy God, and I am going to enjoy life. And those that know me, I have been serious, obviously an intense type of person. But <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, going. We have town centers down there in the villages, and they have music, 365 days a year. And I remember, me and my friends were just going to go down because we want to keep our muscles, leg, you know, we want to be strong, keep strong. And I just said, Lord, Jesus, we're just going to go and we're just going to dance. And I actually, I just pictured Jesus dancing with me. I'm you know, talking about Motown and the oldies and so forth. But I just want to say this. And this is in closing. I heard a message recently, uh, and it was entitled The Enjoyment of God. And they said, uh, she, was, she was talking about in marriage. You know, you can love one another, and you can serve one another, but the most important thing that you have to guard over is that you enjoy one another as a husband and wife, and that is how it is with the Lord. Yes, we love him, and yes, we are serving him, but do we enjoy him, and I think it's time for us to go into that party, go into that celebration and not let anyone steal your joy, not let anything steal your appreciation of life, not let anybody steal from you because that party, that celebration has nothing to do with you. Amen. It has all to do with Jesus. So let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you that... You said in the last days that iniquity would abound, and because of that, the agape love would wax cold in many Christians' lives, and I pray for Hope City. I pray that a fresh flow of your agape love would rise up within all of our hearts, that we would we would have greater revelation and experiential knowledge of the depth and the dimension of your love like never before, that you already paid the price. You already did all that you're going to do concerning our joy, concerning our rejoicing. And, Father, I pray that every one of us, would enter into that party, would enter into that celebration, would enter into that rejoicing, because that is the heart of God. That house, it represents the heart of God. We don't want to be in the peripheral. We don't want to be outside the house. We want to be inside his heart, and we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name.